Psalms. You, you can think of the angels that appeared to Lot before they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You can think of the ministry of the prophets warning God's people before exile or judgment was coming. And here, Jesus is warning his disciples in a similar way, not because of the judgment of coming, but because of the difficulties of life that will come. And these difficulties are not going to come in a far-off time. They're going to come just hours later from when he is speaking these words. Because you remember, in context, this is the last night of Jesus' life. Judas has already departed from them, and he is bringing the authorities to arrest Jesus even now. And so in that context, this is what Jesus says, these important words to his disciples, starting in verse 16. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Now to us, on this side of the cross, those words make perfect sense. But to the disciples at this time, when they heard those words, they didn't get it at all. So much so, we can just read in the next verse. I'm not going to repeat all the times the same phrase is repeated. Uh, it's, it's quite comical, actually, how many times this phrase is repeated. But they don't get what Jesus is saying. They repeat what Jesus has just said, and then they also tack on to another thing they didn't understand from Jesus from chapter 14 when he says he was going to the Father. They don't get it. They also want to know what Jesus means by a little while. What does it mean, a little while, you're not going to be here, and then a little while you will appear to us? Well, Jesus knows their thoughts, and he knows they are confused. He knows they don't get it, so he clarifies in verse 20. It's not a direct answer. It's, uh, it's the emotional response that they're going to have to these events that are coming up. So listen to verse 20. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So Jesus doesn't exactly give a step-by-step -step explanation right here of what's going on. But what the disciples can know is that somehow Jesus is going to leave them, and they are going to be full of sorrow or mourning. They know that. They know they're going to see him again, and they're going to be filled with joy. That's what they know, but other than that, they're in the dark. They don't understand what's going on. And again, from our privileged vantage point, we know that soon Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to be killed, which is why the disciples will weep. That's why they're going to lament. And the world will rejoice the world, remember, those hostile to Jesus, namely the religious authorities, other people that want him dead, they're going to rejoice because they'll think we got rid of this problem of Jesus. Although they really wouldn't really get rid of him, but they think they're getting rid of him in the short term. Well, Jesus says in this context that the sorrow of his disciples will be short-lived. This sorrow will be turned into joy. And like any good teacher, he gives them an illustration because they still don't get it. And so he says it's kind of like childbirth. <laughs> Whoa. You know, it's a, and it's an, it's an intense illustration. He says this in verse 21. When a woman's giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being is born, born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Tells them he'll see you again. 
and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. So in case the disciples were wondering about this coming sorrow, Jesus says they're about to experience distress or anguish, similar to the anguish that a woman about to give birth is having. So, you know, there's quite a few people here at Hope who have given birth. I've watched from afar, six of them from my wife, and uh, that's an intense that's an intense proposition of what goes on there. It's, uh, women are incredible, we'll say that. So this is a very intense distress and pain that Jesus is referring to. He's saying you're gonna be filled with sorrow, distress, pain. And, uh, but that pain of the disciples will be temporary because Jesus says he will see them again. And when that happens, they will be filled with lasting joy, much like when you see that baby for the first time. You don't fully forget. He says you won't remember. It could be say you don't call it to mind, really, is how you could translate it. You don't call to mind that pain because when they see Jesus again, it'll be like when you hold that new baby for the first time. You're just filled with joy. Well, Jesus is talking about this sorrow that's gonna come when he's gonna be taken from them, when he's killed on the cross, and then the joy that's gonna come when he rises from the dead and appears to them. And the main point for us, because this was an event that happened 2,000 years ago, the main point for us is that we uh, wanna realize that Jesus is lovingly preparing his disciples for what's ahead. And he does the same very thing to us today. He prepares us for what's ahead. We're going to talk about it in just a moment, but even in this passage, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. He's preparing us. Throughout the gospel, Jesus prepares us about his uh, suffering, his death, but also his return. He prepares us to say the world's going to get worse. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And he's going to tell us to live, how to live in light of what's to come. And the question is, are we listening to these words of Jesus? Are we listening to him of what he said, these warnings he has given us, the reality he has placed before us? Or do we still have that other template in our minds? Like the world is just going to go a certain way, that our life is going to go a certain way. We're not going to have the kind of trials that other people have. Maybe today you need the reminder that Jesus is in control of this world. Even the evil of the cross was right in line with his plan. Jesus is never surprised. He's never caught off guard. He's not shocked about the wars in Ukraine or the war in the Middle East or the 31 other wars that are going on right now in the world in various parts of the globe. He's not surprised also at the trials that you're facing today. He's not going to take you out of this world, but he will lovingly prepare you and prepare me to face the future and give us what we need to get through, no matter how hard it might be. So that's the first reason we can have hope, because Jesus prepares us for the future. We can have hope in the midst of trial because Jesus prepares us for the future. The second reason for hope as we face these kind of trials and difficulties is because Jesus promises help through prayer. We see that in verses 23 to 28. So as we go through trials, we often lose the perspective that we need, do we not? Trials have a funny way of just making our world very, very small. 
We can't really see around that trial. And here, Jesus is broadening our perspective. He's showing us that he wants us to give us a bigger perspective as we come to the Father through prayer. And if you're counting, this is the third time, at least the third time, Jesus has referred to praying in his name, asking for things in his name. And we've talked about it in previous weeks, but praying in Jesus' name is praying for situations as if Jesus himself would pray in that very same situation. It's praying, knowing his character, knowing his heart, and praying in line with God's will. And when we do that, we are promised that the Father will give us those things. I like how Leon Morris puts it. He says that praying in Jesus' name is praying on the basis of all that Jesus is and has done for our salvation. You see, the only reason that we can pray in Jesus' name is because of his work on our behalf through his death and resurrection. Hebrews 4 reminds us that Jesus is a great high priest. He has passed through the heavens. He's temp- he was tempted with sin, which means now that we can, uh, <clears throat> but he didn't give in to sin. He was tempted with sin, didn't give in to sin, but now we can approach God with confidence the throne of grace with confidence that we might find help in our times of need in whatever kind of trial we may be facing. He says the disciples had not yet prayed in his name because, well, it's because he hadn't yet gone to the cross. But now Jesus tells them to pray in that way. He gives this invitation to them and to us. It's an invitation, it's also a command. He's saying pray uh, or, or ask and could have the sense of ongoingly ask and it will be uh, done for you. You will receive. This type of prayer, when it's offered in Jesus' name, he says, will lead to much joy. That you, he says your joy may be full. And I wonder, friends, how much joy we are missing out on because of our lack of prayer. How much joy we are lacking, uh, missing out on because we we lack uh, a desire to pray. Oftentimes, prayer can seem like a chore. It can seem like uh, something that we have to do or should do, but don't really want to do. If only we would break through those barriers, the barriers of prayer, because on the other side, we would find there is unending joy, unending joy. The Puritans used to say, pray until you pray. Meaning, don't give up in prayer while your mind is still wandering, where you're thinking about a thousand different things. Before you've quieted your heart and experienced the very presence of God in your prayers. Because when you're praying in Jesus' name, in the midst of trials, God will give you much joy, lasting joy. Well, right now, the disciples still don't have the answers. And what Jesus is saying is very unclear to them. So Jesus assures them that this won't always be the case. The way they're feeling, this kind of fog of confusion, it's going to end. Listen to what he says in verse 25. He says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, once again, Jesus is referring uh, or referencing to the time after his resurrection when he's going to tell them directly about the Father. 
He might be referring to the 40 days that he met with his apostles and instructed them, those 40 days after his resurrection that he was on earth before he's taken up to heaven. He could be referring to how the Spirit, his Spirit will teach them even after those 40 days. In either case, we can know that we are in that same time today. We are in a time when we can know plainly about the Father. We're not in this fog of confusion. It's really a privileged time in history, a great time to be alive because we can know clearly what God's will is for us. Well, Jesus then goes back to our standing before God in prayer in verse 26. He says, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I don't say that you will ask, I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. Now, we mustn't understand, misunderstand what Jesus is doing in this verse. Of course, he's not saying that he's not praying for the disciples because we know throughout the, the testimony of Scripture, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. He is the one who is constantly interceding on behalf of us. What he is just driving home to his disciples right now is he's saying, when I'm departing from you, you, you don't have to go to me. You can go directly to the Father, and the Father loves you. He loves you because you love me and believe in me. You can come to him boldly and ask for things that are in line with Jesus' heart, and the same is true for us today. We can come to God the Father, the holy God, just as we are. We don't have to clean up to come to him. Because of Jesus' work on our behalf, we can come with boldness to the Father. The old hymn, you may know it, it says, what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. And how true that is. But sometimes when we face trials, we find it hard to pray, or we feel like everything is on us, that we need to control our environment somehow. But Jesus here promises joy as we come to him in prayer. He says that we will receive what we ask for if we ask it in his name. And I wonder right now if life might be a bit crazy for you. You might be going through a number of trials and you're finding it difficult to pray. If that's the case for you, I would encourage you this week, whether it's a huge trial or a small trial, whenever you are tempted to worry or to think about that trial, lift that thought up to God as a prayer. So instead of anxiety, it might become worship. Instead of fear, it might become trust. Instead of being bewildered, you might have joy. Well, that leads us to the third reason that we can have hope as we face trials, and that's because Jesus has already won the victory. So the disciples think they've finally got it. They were kind of in this fog of confusion, and now they're like, okay, the, the light is clicked on. The, we, we understand. Look at what they say in verse 29. They say, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now, if you've been paying attention today, it's kind of like a, a curious exchange with the disciples. First, they're like, Jesus, we have no clue what you're talking about. 
And now Jesus just says like three sentences and like, ah, we get it. Everything makes sense. <laughs> it's kind of like the pendulum has swung very far from one direction to the other. And yes, they do have some more understanding. They, they, do, they are grasping th- some things, but, but we'll realize in a second they don't fully get what they're saying. It reminds me of Peter's overconfidence at the end of chapter 13. When he told Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going away. And Peter's like, no matter what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. you know, I'm going to lay down my life for you. Jesus was saying, you know what, Peter, really? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Well, Jesus is about to also bring the rest of his disciples back to reality, starting in verse 31. Listen to what he says. He says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, and indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So Jesus is graciously showing them that their belief is going to be tested in a way. Yeah, they get it, quote unquote. But pretty soon, they're going to come for Jesus and they're all going to leave. They're going to flee. They're going to go to their own homes. He says, I'm not going to be alone in that day because the Father is with me. He, he will be with me in my greatest trial. But the point that he's trying to make is that the strength of the disciples' faith is not based on their own declarations of how great their faith is. It's based on Jesus' faithfulness. It's the same for us today. Our faith is only as strong as the object of our faith, and that is Jesus Christ. It's not saying, you know, just striving really hard and saying, how much faith can I have? It's who am I putting my faith in is what matters. Now, there will be a time to be fair to the disciples. I don't want to rail on them too much. They have not yet been given the Spirit. There will be a time when they've been given the Holy Spirit, when they will boldly ask and, uh, for things in Jesus' name. They will boldly stand for Jesus, and they will go even to the point of death, as Jared was talking about last week, on behalf of Christ. But first, they're going to need to see how fragile their faith is apart from the empowerment of God's Spirit. Well, now as we come to the last verse of our passage, Jesus explains why is he talking about all these things? This is, you know, a very important time. Why would he talk about all these things? This is why he's he's doing it. He says it in verse 3. 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So here Jesus is showing the difference between him and the world, which you'll remember the world in John represents all that is hostile to God and to Jesus. So when you are in Jesus, He is saying, when you have believed in him, when you are abiding in him, you will have peace, unending peace, supernatural peace, peace that passes all understanding. And that's really important because every one of us lives in this world. We all live in the world. And he says, in the world, in me, you're going to have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. That means just because you live in the world, trials will come. Bad things will happen to you and to people you love on a macro scale with war, on a micro scale with all sorts of things. 
you will have trials. Jesus guarantees it. That should be a template in our minds, that that will happen. You can't escape trials. They're, they come to all people. They come to the young and the old. They come to the rich and the poor. They come to every person on every nation from every language and tribe. Trials are a part of life. But if you're in Jesus, supernatural peace accompanies those trials. One of the most powerful examples of it, that I know of this uh, in our congregation comes from a guy who's come here to Hope just recently. His name is Mark Trigloff. He's not here today, so I would have him stand and embarrass him. But um, Mark has gone through incredible trial, if you know him, over the last couple of years. In a 10-month period, Mark lost his sister to ALS. And just some months later, he lost his daughter unexpectedly to COVID liver failure. And just two months later, he lost his wife to a brain aneurysm unexpectedly. Three major catastrophic losses in a 10-month period. And as I've walked with Mark through this time of his life, I can attest that he has incredible peace. So much so that unbelievers are like, dude, what's going on with you? Because this is, this is not normal. And it's not. It's not normal. On a human level, he should be wrecked. He should be uh, probably in a facility of some kind with this kind of loss. But he has peace and joy amidst it. Yes, he has grief. Yes, he has sorrow. But he has been filled with peace. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He can give peace that the world cannot give. And it will carry you through your deepest trials. Now, I hope you don't experience that kind of level of loss, but you have all sorts of trials that you're going on in your life right now. And the Lord wants to give you peace in the midst of it. In fact, Mark said that this verse, it's this verse, John 16, 33, that has been one of the key verses that the Lord has used to encourage him during this time. That is, he has used to like fuel him to give him this kind of peace throughout these trials. So we can expect trials. That's a given. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 4. He says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. Isn't that how we react so often when hard things come? It's like, Lord, why me? Why, why, why is there a hard, difficult thing in my life? Because we have that template. It should all work out. I should be healthy. Good things should happen to me if I do the right things. Jesus says, no, that's not the right template here on earth. The right template is hard things will come. It's a guarantee. So right now, I want, uh, I want to take a moment to see, like, how do we face such trials? How do we face trials like Mark experienced and that many of us experiences? Well, Jesus first tells us at the end of verse 33, he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's how we do it. We got to kind of unpack that a bit. So I want you to think, just kind of a thought experiment, I want you to think of the hardest thing going on in your life right now, the most difficult circumstance. Just get that in your mind. I think you can have that in your mind. So as you deal with that situation, that circumstance, what Jesus is saying is he wants you to take heart, or it could be translated, take courage. Not by comparing your trial to somebody else's, whether it's worse or less, you know, not by doing that, 
not by looking at the resources that you have within yourself to deal with that trial, but to look to Jesus because he says, I have overcome the world. You may be thinking like, well, why is that a comfort? Why is that a comfort that he's overcome the world? Well, think about it this way. If you've ever watched a movie for the second time, or if, you know, for the sports fans, I'm a sports fan, if you ever watched a tape game, a taped game where you know the outcome, you know who wins and loses, you watch a lot differently the second time if, you've already, if you already know what's going to happen. That's because the outcome is not in doubt. You know what's going to happen, and it relieves your concerns. And the same thing is true as we face trials. We know that the ultimate outcome has already been decided. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's defeated sin. He's overcome. He's victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you know and love Jesus, no matter what challenges or trials that you are facing right now at this very moment, your future is secure. And if you're abiding in Jesus, if his spirit is dwelling within you, he will give you fruit. He will give you the fruit of the peace that passes understanding, the joy that won't leave you, and all the rest of the fruits of the Spirit. He will give those to you, even if you were to be diagnosed with terminal cancer tomorrow. Even if the wicked of this world seem to be winning, which oftentimes, if you read the news, it seems like the evil is winning. Even then, Jesus tells us, take heart because no matter what it seems like right now if you're in Christ you are on the winning side the battle has been won the outcome is not in jeopardy now I'm not saying you're not going to experience difficult trials because Jesus says in fact yes you will you will experience difficult trials what I'm saying is that those trials in your life are put in their place when you consider the ultimate victory of Jesus and the resources that he gives you to make it through. Now, if you don't know Jesus this morning, there are some, I'm sure, who have come to check out church trying to figure out someone invited you, perhaps. It means that you don't have the same hope that I just talked about because you're not on the winning side right now because you're also going to experience various trials and difficulties in your life. You know that. If you're, if you're old enough, you'll know that's going to happen. But unless you turn to Jesus and trust in him for what he has done, believing that he's died for your sins, he's taken the wrath of God for your sins upon himself, unless you believe in him, put your full trust in him, you're never going to have that hope. You're not going to have that peace, not in this life or in the life to come. So if you're in that situation today, the call to you is to repent and believe. Confess your sins and believe. Today we're going to take of communion of this meal that reminds us what Jesus Christ did for each one of us. So if you don't know him today, make today the day that you trust in this one called Jesus. Well, as we close, I want you to consider how you respond to hard things in your life. The difficulties, the trials, they could be very minor and they could be very major. How do you respond to those? Are you surprised? Are you surprised when they come? Do you act like they shouldn't happen? Do you blame God for those things that he puts in your life? 
Well, Jesus always tells us the truth. He says, expect tribulation in this life. But he also promises to help us through those trials when we trust in him. But I do want to come back to that template that we all kind of have naturally. That template that says everything should work out. Life should go a certain way. I believe God actually puts that template in our minds because we're longing for the place we're designed to be. We're we're designed to be in a place where there's no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, where things work out, where we don't have to go to funerals. I did a funeral just yesterday. We don't go to funerals, a place like that. And that place is coming. That is the place that Jesus has secured for us in the new heavens and the new earth if we know and love Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus has overcome the world. And because of that, we can have hope in the midst of trials. And we can have the power we need to get through those trials. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he calls these trials, no matter how great they are, and he had some major trials. Paul says he calls them light momentary afflictions. That they are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Because as we dwell upon where we are going, the future that is ours, whatever we are facing is light and momentary in comparison to what the Lord Jesus has promised us. So as we encounter the trials of life, even this week, let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and on the hope that is ours because he has overcome the world. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we bow before you as the sovereign one. Lord, we don't always understand your ways. Oftentimes we can question why the world is the way it is, why you have brought the things you've brought into our lives or into the world around us. We see some of the wars, we see some of the ideologies floating around, we see uh, evil seemingly winning, and we can ask why. But Lord, help us to realize that's precisely why you came, so that you would overcome the world. And Lord, you have defeated sin and death and the devil. Help us to regain this eternal perspective. And even this week, I pray that you would give us eyes to see what you are doing. And Lord, we're thankful that you prepare the way for us, that you've warned us that these difficulties will come. And we give you praise that you have given us all the resources we need to get through. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.